0: This podcast episode discusses what it's like to be a resilient dad. It also mentions alcoholism in parents. These are our personal stories and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you for joining us at And Life Happen. Today, we're doing something special in preparation for Father's Day. We
1: are going to hear Evan's story about being a resilient dad. Welcome, Evan. So, Evan, tell us about your childhood and how you became a resilient dad.
2: Well, that really starts from having a, an alcoholic mother and uh, a dad that he works really hard mm-hmm. and because he worked really hard, he was gone a lot. You know, long days, stuff like that. Didn't get home till just before dinner most days.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And with all those the things that come along with my alcoholic mother, it was it was very eye opening as a young child, mm-hmm. and kind of forced me to grow up pretty quick. Yeah, I bet. Um, <clears throat> those just for an example, uh, I can remember her being. In the front yard tree, but naked, with the police out there telling her to to get down. They needed to talk to her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and those things just they they added up to where it it forced me, like I said, to grow up quickly. And then, you know, those kind of things led into having older friends. And when I say older, I was still on a bicycle, and these guys could buy beer. I will
1: share with the audience: Evan is my brother, and so. Evan and I, while we have um, the same mother, and I haven't talked about her her here before, um, the stories are slightly different because I am from a previous marriage. And so there is an eight year difference between Evan and I. So I moved out at 16 and he was eight. So he's gonna have a different story or sequence of events um, because her stage of alcoholism was different at different parts of her life. So for Evan, for example, the, the memory for you with um, her being in the tree, I believe you were two. Um, I think I was maybe a little older than Maybe you were four. Do you remember how old you were when that's the night she went um, into rehab?
2: Yeah, I think I was probably closer to four.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very early childhood memory. But to be able to remember she was in the tree. Now I can share with you, she wasn't naked. That was a different event. She ran naked down the street a different time. So the time in the tree was um, I ran away and went to a friend's house. And in the state of Arizona, you cannot harbor a runaway. And so my best friend's parents said, we love you. We would keep you, but we have to call the police. You have to have permission to be here because in Arizona, we could get in trouble. And I don't know if that's still a thing, but um, back then I know it was, and so they called the police. Yeah. And so when the police came, our mother climbed up the tree and tried to hide. And the, the, the fact that you remember any of it is amazing to me because you were so little, um, but the, how they found her was because she lit a cigarette and she was so intoxicated and hiding in our citrus trees on the side of the house, That she thought that she could light a cigarette and not be seen they couldn't see her until she lit that cigarette but she was dressed so um but it does shape your 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 parenting in the future right like those those things um you probably don't remember um when she chased you down the road because you got out do you know that story do you remember that story
2: uh no i don't so I mean,
1: have you ever been told that story?
2: That you didn't know.
1: So maybe this is going to be a little bit different than we thought it was going to be today. But so you were um, in diapers, and I was coming home from school, I was, or something, and I was in a car. I just I was driving by somehow in a car, and I there I oh maybe I was with John, my stepdad, your dad, um, and we see her go running by. And she's in a robe. I remember the robe. It was a um, an orange, silky, like burnt orange robe. I remember her running after you. You were in a diaper and carrying um, a box of crackers. And we, we didn't see you. We saw mom phew, go running down the road. And in about a year and a half, she left you outside in the backyard with a box of crackers. And you got out the side gate. And just started walking down the neighborhood. And thank God you went towards our elementary school instead of towards the main avenue. And so things like that shaped my ability as a parent. Not my ability as a parent, but my desire to be different, to parent differently. I I developed that. I know what I'm not going to do.
2: Oh, yeah. That was was a huge development. Yeah.
1: And before we started recording, what you said to me was um your childhood gave you an idea of how you wanted it to be for your kids instead of what it was for you so let's talk about that what is it that what are the main things maybe that stick out to you from your childhood that were those defining points of I want it to be different for my kid kids uh now
2: <laughs> yeah kids uh um, um i there's a lot, but the ones I'd focus on is probably being connected to my children. Yeah. Cause you know, like she was there, you know, dad, mom and dad were there and my dad tried his best at, when he could, cause uh-huh. he was the sole provider, but mom wasn't, she was physically there, but always mentally not there. And when she was mentally there, uh, there were some good points. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, but uh, other times, when she was still mentally there, it was it was things that normal moms would not do. Like yeah. uh, uh, she had a cousin of mine and me hop out of a hop out of the truck we were in one day to flatten somebody's tires because they stole her parking spot.
1: Oh my God, Evan, I did not know that.
2: Yeah, that happened. She had a cut the valve stems off of tires. Well she asked me if I knew how to make those tires not work anymore. Uh, and it was me and Ryan. We hopped out of the back of the blazer and um yeah uh, flattened all four tires at the oh, old target parking lot. Oh, oh so we and we drove off. Yeah. We were we were young. We were riding in the way, way back, you know in say, the blazer? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember a time I'll tell you, I remember a time when she did a traffic stop. Where she um, sitting in the blazer? I was in the blazer, sitting on the center console. Because back then, you know, kids didn't have to be in seatbelts. I mean, they should have been,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: but our mom didn't require us to be in seatbelts. And I would sit on that center console, that metal plastic—I don't know—and she did a fake traffic stop. And she pulled over. She pulled somebody over at a light, and jumped out of the car, fully intoxicated, and said, "I'm an off-duty police officer. You're lucky I don't arrest you." with me just sitting on the center console. I never knew anything like that happened with you, ever. But again, our age difference, you know, I moved in with my father at 16, so that probably put you, I mean, you were eight when I left. Um, If you were old enough to do that, then you, what, 12?
2: Um, Oh. 10, 12, 14? Yeah, probably about 10. Uh, By 14, I had driven all of us to California. Because she would, but yeah, by 14, um, there I don't know if you know this, but there was one night when she woke all of us, me and the girls up in the middle of the night, uh-huh. Said, hurry and pack your things. So we packed, we didn't know where we were going and we threw them in the truck and we, we drove to California. And when we were leaving the neighborhood, she ran over a median and took out a street sign. And I said, mom, I'm driving if we're doing this. I'm not going. Otherwise, we'll just we'll just get out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I drove. Oh.
1: I did not not know that story. Yeah. I drove
2: all the way to California like that. Um. Yeah. There's a lot of there was a lot of things that have changed and evolved me as. Especially growing up into my adulthood, to where I was like, "Oh wow, this is totally not normal." Seeing my other friends. Yes. How how they grew up and. Um. Their their moms and dads inputs on my life was right. Yes,
1: yes, same, same, (laughs) brother, same. Um, I had the one family that I when I got pregnant with Jeffrey at seventeen, I was already thinking of what I will do differently. Um, You know, and I had him at eighteen, which is a story I still haven't told here on our platform, but I I plan to. But I remember emulating that family the amazingness of that family, or at least what I got to see, right? Because we don't see everything that happens with our friends' families, but um, I did the same thing, the same thing. Yeah, and I should add here, because I didn't mention this, um, I have a bias, right? Evan is my brother, but also I feel like I'm one of those people who probably by our nature of how we were raised, um, I'm good at removing myself and stepping back and looking at something and saying, um, from an, from an almost an unbiased viewpoint, this is good, or this is bad, or this person is not good for me, is good for me. And I will say, Evan is an amazing father. And that is without my, that's my brother bias. Evan is, um, an incredible father, which is why I invited him to meet with us today to talk about resilient dads, because with the childhood we had, or if you even take that away, you are an incredible father. The kids are amazing and, and you and Ashley are in just incredible parents. And I mean, the, just the gentleness with which you deal with your children, but also the, it's a kind of a juxtaposition here because I'm gonna say sternness <laughs> with which you deal with them. I mean, it's, you're consistent. There's no wishy-washiness but you are gentle and loving, but also when you need to be stern and say, absolutely not, it's an absolutely not. Um, And I have this thing that I do to mess with parents, Um, I say to the kids, hey, go tell them, give it to me now, dad, give it to me now. And I teach them like to bang on the counter. And I know that it's terrible that I do that, Um, (laughs) but I mess with new parents. And I remember doing that with Ariel and she tried to do it with you and we were at a restaurant and you look at her and you go no and she went oh crap I mean she didn't say that but she she just went okay (laughs) like you know she just stopped and so yeah it's not gonna fly with dad and I was like oh man that's my fun thing I like to do to people but there, there there is a very healthy line with your kids where you play and you interact and you read to them and you you get down on the ground and you you know, they're your jungle gym. They climb all over you and you do all these amazing things with your kiddos, Ashley as well. Um, but then there's that, that line of, no, there, you're not going to walk all over me. You're going to have good boundaries. You're going to have good rules. And I think that that also stems from our childhood because we didn't have good boundaries and good rules and things in place. And the fact that you have been able to do that shows me how resilient you are. And and then An incredible example for other families at how to be a good parent. So I have these rules that I that I had told, and I've broken them, and you've probably heard this story, but I have uh, four rules that I put in place because of our mother, right? That my four parenting things that I had told myself when I was pregnant with Jeff. One, I would never kick him out of the house. Two, I would never threatened to have him go live with grandpa because my childhood mom you know our our mom always threatened to have me to kick me out and to have me go live with my dad I would never curse at my child and I would never call them a name those are my, my four parenting rules now I have broken that <laughs> in one day I broke that in one day with one of my kids because I was it was he was 14 and oh my god and I kicked him I parked my car I said <laughs> Get the f out! So I cursed. I kicked him out, right? I tried, right? In that sentence, I said, "What the?" I said something like, "What the f is wrong with you?" Um, or maybe you're. Oh, I said, "I said you're, you know, being an asshole." <laughs> like what <Yeah>. the f, <laughs> right? you're being such an asshole. And then I said, "Do you want to go live with Grandpa?" I broke all my four parenting rules in one minute. But I mean, oh my gosh your kiddos are little, but (laughs) my toughest year with Jeffrey was 14. It was intense, but now it's wonderful, right? I mean, parenting is interesting, but do you have anything like that? Um, because, you know, you
2: said, um,
1: you knew what not to do, or you saw what not to do. Did you ever do anything like that?
2: Well, I mean, the basic common sense rules is what I try and follow just those gut instinct rules. So Yes, you're right. The whole the swearing at the children, uh-huh. that's a no-no. And I have broken that one time. <laughs> and it, was with, it was with my oldest, and she had done, I don't remember the exact situation, but she had done something that was could have potentially really hurt her younger mm. sister. Mm. And I looked directly into her eyes, and I said, what the F was that? Uh-huh. And she immediately broke down because I've, I've never approached her like that before yeah and, um i knew at that point like i need to correct that immediately because if i don't she's going to retain it in that situation and yeah. that perspective forever like oh dad will do these things right so i did immediately i i paused because i i saw it as soon as i did it and um I actually apologized. I shouldn't have. I don't know if I should have apologized at that point because I was surrendering my, like my dominance and my, you know, my position as the father, but I did. And I think that actually corrected it because by the end of the conversation with her, she, she understood that I wasn't, I wasn't intentionally swearing at her. I was mad and I was swearing at the situation. Yeah. You know, because of that, I think that's when she actually kind of started questioning what swear words were and when she can and can't use them. And I <laughs> felt like, you're not allowed to use them at all. What are you talking about? So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, and I think you showed her one
1: parents aren't perfect and you're not trying to be, you know, parents are. And I think that's something that we as humans need to know ourselves because especially coming from the childhood we had, I tried with Jeffrey to be the perfect parent and it was, it was so stressful and, and being the imperfect parent actually made parenting easier for me. But so we sh- you showed her that parenting isn't perfect. Parents don't know everything, but they try. And you showed her how to apologize. Yes. That's so empowering. And, and you know, that she doesn't have to be the perfect kid and she can apologize when she makes mistakes. Um, you know, and I know that this is a bit of a regression in the conversation, but as our, our mom, the only apology, I mean, we, we got apologies, I don't know about you, I don't wanna speak for you or for our sisters, but um, most of my, my apologies that I recall were drunken apologies. It typically, the start of a conversation, not following an event, so maybe a couple hours later or a day or so later, she would drink again, and be drunk and come wake me up and say, I'm so sorry about what happened. And she, but she'd be slurring and incoherent. And I would have to then get up and go put her back to bed. And, you know, then I had to take on the parenting role and go put her back to bed and stuff. So you did it in the moment when, instead of that core memory switching to my dad curses at me, the core memory becomes a bonding moment for the two of you. Well, I hope
2: so out of that one. because Right? Go question you know, her when I she's like want, 20,
1: 30. <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> I don't want your core memories to be anywhere near like what what I have as core right. memories. Uh, and, you know, my childhood was... I spent a lot of time outside, and that's what I, I loved to do yeah. as a kid. You know, when I was, young, there, was some, there was video games, but I wasn't into those things. So my childhood was... It was. I can't say it was bad. It was good because it has evolved me into who I am. So with that though, the 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 things that make me resilient are really. I had to learn that every day is a different day with these with the children. Yeah, and every day they're learning something, and so am I because. Um, you know it's my middle child can she still she she bathes herself 100 percent, and my oldest one still has to have us wash her hair because she's she just she hates having to do it herself or accidentally getting soap in her eyes she's, it's easier for her to blame us if that happens i guess <laughs> I <don't know>. but <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because there's a three-year difference in between them and yeah. i don't know i don't know the oldest one is very independent and she'll she try is. To- and she she's is. not afraid of most things. She's not afraid of, and um, but you know, there's little quirks about each child, and um, it keeps me on my toes. And I think them keeping me on my toes is what is one of the major things that keeps me resilient because it's it's different every day. Mm-hmm.
1: What I what I hear and what I I think I'm picking up on here is a pattern of constantly learning and evolving and growing. You yourself as a person, as a dad. And I feel that's something that I share. Um, And I think that that's part of the resiliency. I've noticed that in other people who are telling their stories um, and other people that we talk to about being resilient. I feel like there's this thread of evolution and learning and everybody does it a little differently, you know? And I kinda, (laughs) you know, I'm picturing your wife right now. I am picturing Ashley because she, reads like I do you know like devours the books um my husband evolves and grows as a person and he doesn't he doesn't read um the way that I do and the way that Ashley does right like he doesn't he's not like hand me the next book you know not at all and I know you know Ashley's has like the challenge where she tries to read more and, you know, each year and she sets goals for herself. And um, this is my first year. I'm not doing one of those because I, every year I was trying to read more and more and, and, and I would um, and I love it. Um, and so, but I do hear the thread, right? So um, I think that that's something to pinpoint for dads as well is that the, the constant growth and the evolution that you're discussing Doesn't have to have a certain form.
2: No, it doesn't. I don't believe it has to have a certain form. I think they just have to be willing to do it. Yes, have to to be willing to learn and connect and read that child—not read to the child, but physically, you know, read the emotions Uh every day. Yeah. Um, it'll help them. It'll help them connect if they can physically do these things. Yeah and emotionally because you know as a man um i'm not afraid to show my children emotion and society up until i guess more recently has been um very blocked on men having emotion Uh you know like especially like uh my dad i don't think i i don't think i saw my dad cry until his father passed away and i Mm -hmm. honestly think that was the very first time i saw him cry and i was in my late twenties, at that point.
1: hmm
2: hmm
1: Same. I don't think I've ever seen my dad cry. So let's talk about others, because I know we we dive down that one. But do you have other rules, like, cause you know, with the cursing rule, um, did you have other things that you're like, I am never going to do blank with my kiddos, or I'm always going
2: to do blank with my kiddos, or I'm going to try uh, to. Oh, uh, we. I I try to keep them on a good schedule because um, the. They they go to bed at the same time every night, except for Friday because Friday we have a family night, and you know the the older two get to stay up a little later, um, hang out with mom and dad, whether we we play games. Um, but as far we, the schedule is so important because mm-hmm. um, without it, it can get chaotic, and uh, I feel that chaos in a kid's life is is not, it's not, it's not perfect yeah it's nowhere near perfect and which you know um stable and secure they feel the easier things become so you know when when we first started the the bedtime routine and schedule with the oldest one she was fairly upset i'm not gonna lie for like the first week of well, why do i have to go to bed now at this time Mm -hmm. when she finally started to realize this and questioning things and um you know, now that it's it's been that way for a while, for, for a long time now, um, yeah. she, they don't question it at all. Okay, it's tooth, it's, we call it tooth time to brush our teeth. It's yeah. tooth time. So then we go in and we brush teeth and they don't, they hardly ever complain or whine or anything like that. They just know that it's this time. And um, I believe that that helps with my wife and myself, because if we stick to these routines and they know these routines, it also gives us a time for ourselves instead mm-hmm. of accidentally, um, you know, going an evening or a couple of evenings a week where the kids went to bed late. Now we're still stressed out because we didn't yeah. have time to wind down and just hang out with each other or do whatever it is that we want to do after the kids are asleep. Because until they're in bed and asleep, it's, it's, you're on. Yeah, yeah, you're on. It's like, it's a 24 seven job and you it are is. on until they crash. Yep.
1: yep. So, um, so I wrote down three notes here. Uh, Well, I wrote down a lot, but three things that I wanted to to circle back on with you about that, because routines are incredibly important. Kids need stability. They need, I love that you said uh, the more stable and secure they feel, the easier things become because they need that stability and they need security. And that's obviously something um, we didn't have with our mom. I feel like you had it with your dad, right? Like, um, and I'm not excluding myself from that, but I mean, he was a stable fixture, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, so he's somebody that you could draw from. I see a lot of your dad in you. And I just think it's the cutest thing ever. Um, but I see a lot of your dad in you. Um, but three things that I wrote down with that quote, I wrote traditions and stability Um, for your family and community because earlier you had talked about you saw other your friends families and you emulated them and Mm -hmm. um and then I wrote down and you then you got to it but I wrote down what do you do for yourselves um as you know as a couple or even for just yourself but um so let's touch on those for just a second so traditions and stability you have things like tooth time getting to bed getting them to bed at a normal routine um uh, and I, you know, whatever that routine may be. I love you have that Friday family night, um, with the kiddos. Um, and let's talk. And and, I mean, that's kids crave boundaries. They crave them. And like you said, if there's, if they're not there, it's chaotic. So let's talk about your community because boy, you have an incredible community of people. And when I say that, um, you you have this circle of friends that is so tight and so, um, th- they're your family. <laughs> yeah. And I have yeah. used that phrase yeah. so many times. They're your yeah. family, and you guys have kind of, you know, I'm the older sister and I'm from a different um marriage and all of that, but you've also, um, I've been brought into that family as well, even though y'all are you know younger than me, I still go to those gatherings and stuff like, like, um. I always feel like the, I'm the aunt that's coming to visit, but I'm like the, you know, I'm the, like, such a cool click, like such a cool community. So even, even outside of them, when I ask this question, but um, Samantha always talks about community when we do, like, that's her thing that she's, when people talk about resiliency, almost every single time they mention in some way or another community. So tell us about your community and, and how that helps you be a better dad.
2: Well, I actually—that's an evolving process. The community. So the community. When when I had my first child, Mm -hmm. we were living in a four-bedroom house. Um, with my sister and her husband and their Mm -hmm. son. Uh And uh, when we had Ariel, the oldest, my oldest child, she uh, it was it was different because we had two extra adults. right that have already gone through all of these super young baby stages Uh uh-huh and they could uh, they could advise and assist us like on on the spot because we were living in the same house yeah it's a community to raise
1: it it takes a community to what is the phrase uh um, it takes a village to raise a child yeah Yeah. (laughs) that
2: that was was your village village. (laughs) Yeah. yeah it was the village and um there was a certain point where uh we were trying to set ourselves up for the future a little different. And, um, we moved into our mother-in-law's house Mm -hmm. and there was even more, there was three adults and, um, one, I guess at that point she was a toddler, a little older than a toddler. Uh And, um, you know, so we had, we had a really tight community, but as, as our situation evolved and, um, we, grew as a family with the second child our community the people were still there but at this point in our life we had moved out further right and we were on our own and the community shrank it shrank dramatically to the point where there was points where I mean I didn't feel this so much but my wife felt like we had no more community
0: oh and that's it, interesting
2: it was just us it was us alone and uh-huh. um, at that point you know because we were so far out, it it seemed like the family members didn't want to come hang out or not hang out, but right. I know. I know. We never got an offer. Hey, let me watch your kids for you. We we always had to address the, the kids. Yeah. Yeah. We had to ask nobody, nobody ever offered. Where before
1: you guys were there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, You were all together. Yeah. When we all lived together, it was, uh, what are you guys doing tonight? Oh, you can leave You can leave Ariel here with us if you want to go to dinner, you know? Right. And, and that would happen, and it was give and take because they had my nephew with them. Right. So, but yeah, so the community definitely evolved and the older the kids have gotten, um, we rely on that oldest one as part of the community. So when we're taking care of chores or doing something where we can't 100% watch the middle and youngest child, she kind of steps in and um, and and takes care of you know. That, yeah, that she helps body. out. Yeah, mm-hmm. she does help out a lot. Except for uh, the closest example I have of that is they were they were picking up dog poop in the backyard. My wife uh-huh. and and the middle child, the Irie, my middle. Uh huh. Ariel was swinging with Jed on the on the swings. Well, Ariel had recently figured out that she can pick Jed up. And sit on the swing together with him, and uh, they were swinging, and she lost her grip, and inevitably, uh, she sacrificed herself. Oh, so that Ariel! Jed didn't hit the ground, and yeah, both got a little bit of a lump on the back of her head from hitting the ground. Yeah. Him, but Jed was good. So she she plays roles like that all the time, and she yeah. wants, she strives, she strives to help with these things. Yeah, um, she's a great kid. Yes, she is a great kid. And uh, that, knowing that, uh, which kind of, uh, I don't know if I like the fact that I know I can rely on her or (laughs) lean on her, you know, because she's only seven, but she wants these.
1: She she, wants it. I'll tell you, brother. she, She She wants it. Yes, she is Ashley. And I didn't know Ashley as a little, I mean, you guys have known each other. All of y'all have known each other for so long. But, um, but Ash, uh, yeah, Ariel is Ashley. And Ashley is a natural, like, um, I mean, you know, the teacher in her
0: is oh, also in
1: Ariel, yeah. right? Like, it's it just that's who Ariel is. She, it, you're not putting it on her. She wants it. And it's kind of like, and I, I have never seen y'all abuse it in any way, shape, or form, but if you were concerned about it, my only, um, like, the thing that I would advise, and not even real advice here, is that um, as a former teacher, um, there are students in the class who always want to be that, that leader or the peer support for kids in the other kids in the class, right? And you just have to make sure you're not doing it too much so that they aren't then having their own growth because they're spending so much time being the peer support person. And that was the one, like, as a teacher, you had to kind of balance that out. And we had it happen with one kiddo that every year was being placed in the same class with, um, not by my doing, um, but like, we found out later, like this history of always being placed in the same class with a special needs student, because that parent was requesting that, the, the special needs parent was requesting it. And we didn't know how it was occurring. So they would request the teacher where that child was placed. And so eventually the child said, she spoke up, she advocated for herself. And I think fifth grade and said, I can't keep doing this. And, we, and you know, like then, then the staff was like, oh my goodness, we didn't catch it. We didn't even realize. And I don't think it will get to that point and by any stretch of the imagination, but Ariel wants this. This is what Ariel's asking for. and And she does all of these other things on her own she has a very healthy balance, but that would be the only thing to kind of keep an eye out for. As the former teacher, special ed coordinator, and school administrator, that would be the only piece of advice I could give you. Um, my kiddo, out of our five kiddos, we didn't have that caregiver one like Ariel. You know what I'm saying? Like the the one that was the, the teacher slash mom. Ariel is like, I, she'll be anything she wants when she grows up. And I've also said she'll be like a superstar it's like she'll be in movies or something like she's just this magnetic personality. Um um all your kids are incredible Ariel just there's just this magnetism, right? That you see in kiddos. Um and I see him in other kiddos. I'm not leaving anybody out. But um we're talking about Ariel specifically like that's part of her magnetism. She's like, no I got this. I want to do this. Um but you guys don't put too much on her I don't
2: think no that's um yeah, don't overwork the mule type situation. <laughs> yeah, when, yeah, she's amazing.
1: Oh, you our kids are so life,
2: sweet. When yes, they I, I cannot deny that. Although yeah. the youngest, um, that's a, you know, that's a good actually uh, turning point there. So um, we have two girls, and then our youngest is a boy. And the the resilience thing is a whole different game with my boy. Yeah. You know, trying, trying to adapt and learn to what he is as compared to mm-hmm. what we learned and went through with the girls growing up. And, and even as simple as diaper changes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he, so the girls would literally when, from the very beginning, they would let you know that it's time for a diaper. Uh-huh. And, not that we weren't checking these things, but right. it, like if they went to the bathroom, especially number two, it was it was time to change them because they were uh-huh. be crying or pulling on their diapers, uh-huh. um, and they would gladly lay down, nice and still, and they wouldn't play with <laughs> anything and they wouldn't stick their hands places. And it was very simple, quick in in and out, easy go. Uh-huh. Um, my boy, though, just a simple diaper change has is eye opening because uh, how can I say that? He's very investigative on <laughs> things going on down there. So, yeah. and then it's a struggle just to get him to lay still. So uh-huh. yeah, I usually, I, I, when we first, when I first, you know, as a newborn, it was fine. But once you realized his motor skills and could move his legs and his hands the, and his hips, I had to hold him down with one hand <laughs> and change him with the other hand. We
1: had one like that. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Like the learning aspect of trying to do these things, as compared to the first one, is it's, it's it threw a whole curveball in. But now uh-huh. he'll be two this September, and he's just now to the point where I can look at him and and be like, "All right, dude, just just lay still for a second, and I'll get this done quick." And he'll actually lay still for the amount of time that it takes me to change his diaper now. And that's uh, that's a reason, great
1: evolution there,
2: because <laughs> yeah, usually it's here, the other
1: way. They're like rolling away and running nude That's, streaking across your house like no <laughs>
2: uh, that uh that happened once and I'm, I'm this might be a bad story to tell about but I tell it anyways so <laughs> I was changing him on the couch one day and that exact situation was happening like he thought it was so funny mid diaper, <laughs> to roll over off the couch as fast as he could and just make me catch him and uh that that came to an abrupt stop that particular situation uh uh-huh. Um, normally he was directly in the middle of the couch cushions, you know, front to back when I was changing,
1: Uh for
2: some reason, he was a little bit more towards the the front edge of the couch cushions. And, um, I was changing him. He was all cleaned up and I, I, I physically reached to get the diaper cream. And as I turned around, I saw him mid air going (laughs) straight down on his belly and hit the floor. Oh, um, yeah. Did he get hurt? Uh, I mean, he got the wind knocked out. of him. Yeah. Scared, but startled. Yeah. He got startled and, uh, it took him just a second or two to catch his breath, but that was the last time he tried rolling off the couch as fast as he could during the diaper changes to uh, roll off. Um, and it was nothing that I did wrong. Like it was right. the same, it was the same. It's thing him. We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he learned right then that, Oh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. So, Uh, but that was, no, that was the last time he tried doing those things. And, uh, here very recently within the last two weeks, um, if he goes poop in his diaper, he'll actually start walking bow legged like an old cowboy and come up to you and he'll physically tell us poop. That's great.
1: I mean, that's, you know, that's the evolution of his potty training process has begun, you know,
2: like (laughs) it's it's part of the process. I'm excited because you will be our last one in diapers. So, um, yeah, he will. Yes. Until I get to your stage and I have, yes,
1: which is an amazing (laughs) stage. Let me just tell you it is. It is. I loved being a parent. Um, I always wanted to be a parent. I loved being a parent. I mean, I'm obviously still a parent. We still have five kiddos, but, um, Uh, being a grandparent is amazing because you know how you were talking about that long day, the Mm -hmm. Um, 24-7. Being a grandparent isn't any easier necessarily because I have my grandson two days a week um, and, you know, while his parents are at work. um, And it's difficult. He's still a kiddo, you know. I mean, it's the same as when you're parenting other than, you know, grandma gives in. Slightly different, right? But I'm still the same style parenting that I had before, but I get to give him back. (laughs) So at the end of the day, like every Friday, because I have a Thursdays and Fridays and every Friday, Gary's like ready for a drink. I'm like, yes, I am. (laughs) You know, and it's my favorite thing in the world is being a grandparent. I love it. I want to do it full time. Like, I just love it. Give me all your grandbabies. And that's why I, I would take my nieces and nephews, like, especially now that I'm not working at the same time, like give me all the kids you have now that might drive Gary crazy. Cause he works from home upstairs, but I'm like, give me all the kids. You can kids, kids, kids. Um, but, uh, but I get to give them back. And that is, I get that amazing feeling that, you know, those amazing parenting moments that you have where you get to connect and do these cool things. I get to do that two days a week. And then he goes home and has the fits with his parents. And, you know, cause at the end of the day, he's tired and he, they have the bedtime transition and they have to get him to eat his dinner. And I don't have to do any of that. So That's an amazing phase. Um, Let's talk about what you do, you and Ashley even, um, because I'm sure she has other things that she does that maybe you don't do, but I know you do a few things that I, you know, like as your sister, I know, Um, but let's talk about this for other people who are listening, things that you do for your own resilience, things that you do to recharge or to refill your bucket.
2: What are your things? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I'm gonna have to say um, I like the outdoors a lot. And uh-huh. I feel like when I go, when we spend some time at the lake or we go to the woods as a as as a family. I don't even like I don't like doing it as an independent anymore. To be honest with you, like, yeah. I don't I don't like going out by myself. I feel when my recharge is. Having them experience these things. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I get to do that with them, the the better it is for me. Because doing it on my own, I thought, you know, there was a couple trips I went on camping without my children, or to the lake and stuff like that, go fishing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not. I don't have that desire to do it by myself. Anymore. Yeah, and
1: so, and it's okay. We want to say for anybody listening, it's totally okay. If it is your recharge to go do things on your own, that is totally okay. But I get what you're saying. Um, As a mom, one of my favorite things was watching my husband do these types of things with our kiddos. And it's so weird to say that, like, I, I can't really express it, but I would love to sit on the couch and watch him wrestle or play video games or taking them to the lake or taking them to the river, you know. I like doing the things with them as well, skiing and being on the uh, the tube. And, um, we took, we've taken them hiking and, you know, up into the mountains and things like that. But watching him do those things was incredible to me. And so what you're describing is almost like the flip, like it's saying that you, you possibly my husband got a recharge out of the same things that you're discussing while I was just watching going, oh, this is amazing. I love watching this. Um, I would it would recharge my batteries to see them laughing and having a good time with my husband.
2: Well, I I, I believe that's probably it because you know those those trying moments where it's hard and it's tough, uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. and
2: um, the kids are the kids are being crazy, and no matter what you do, you can't quite grasp that moment and and I guess take the reins and take and guide it. Um, those really tough times they yeah. are it's, it's easy for me to take just a breather, just in that tough time moment and be like, oh yeah, remember last weekend when they were giggling and smiling and playing with this or that. And, um, yeah. it immediately that it makes that tough time a lot easier. Yeah. So, um, I guess on a recharge thing though, I do one thing. I, when I get home from work, Uh huh i get I take about thirty minutes and I go in my bedroom and I get all cleaned up. and I just i I put away the work stress and turn on, I guess, dad mode, like, okay, I'm home now. And um, that allows me to eliminate the the carryover from work to the house. Mm-hmm. so that when I come out to the kids and they're you know they're being kids, I can, I can attack that with like uh, a fresh mind and fresh yeah. emotions, and not let the frustrations develop rapidly because I'm so frustrated from the bad day at work or yeah. the so. Yeah. I, you know, I don't do, I don't, gosh, I don't do too much. Um, I don't do me time. And I don't, that's about the only me time I do is that, that oh, 30 minutes of coming home and cleaning up. And yeah, but I bet
1: you, I bet you if more people did that, men and women, it would, you know, it, it may not, it may not feel like the, the traditional like self care that people talk about a lot that we talk about a lot here on our podcast, but, um, there's a story that when you were talking about that, and, and Ashley has mentioned that to me before too, that you come home and you shower at, from work and then you come out with the kids. Like she's actually talked about that routine briefly. Like I think it was just mentioned in passing, like Evan's got to come home and shower and then we're going to do blank, whatever. Um, but there's this story of, uh, and it's gone around the internet for years where this, uh, I, I'm going to botch it, but this man tells the story of coming home. Um, and I think I first read about it in a book, but you see it on the internet a lot. He comes home and he would rub the plant, there was a plant outside his front door, and he would touch the leaves, and he would, um, trans- just like this, in his mind, transferring the work stress into the plant, so that when he opened the door to his house, he could be dad. And you know like he was letting off there was just a process he went through every day and he touched this plant and he rubbed it and then he would go inside the house i wish i could get it right and tell you the full story but um but it's that what you're doing is the real version right like his was a quick thing at the door but that's truly important because then you can turn around and give your kids the attention that you want them to
0: have as yes. a father
2: in a way it was kind of uh it was that routine uh, was kind of hard to accomplish because, as a as a heavy equipment mechanic, I would come home covered in grease and grime from head to toe. Yeah, <laughs> and my uniforms in the morning would be gray, and I'd come back black. Uh huh. Uh huh. So when I come through the door, the kids were so excited to see dad and hang out and play that, um, you know, I'd, every single day I had to tell them, "Hold on, I'm going to get right. you super ready. Let me go get cleaned up." Uh huh. So like you know when I when I went in and I got cleaned up it was that you know washing away all the work stuff let that stuff go and then you know go let's go be dad, play have fun and help them help them learn whatever it was you need to learn that day is what I was trying to help them learn so
1: yeah so important um for people who work at home um it I've You know, read a lot. Like I said, Ashley and I are the same there. Um, But there's this suggestion of for people who work at home that they create a routine similar to that, but in whatever format you want. So um, instead of, you know, I work from home, so I roll out of bed, pick up my phone, I would start working. That is what I did for 10 years, roll out of bed, pick up my phone, answer anybody because the East Coast people might need me. And and then at the end of the day, I would put my stuff away, but I still had my phone. And so I'd be checking throughout the night because I still had employees. It was a 24-hour company. So I would have employees that would need me uh, um, during the different phases of my career at that location. I was needed more at night with different job titles that I had. Right. But I was always checking it and I didn't have a fixed routine that ended, started it into my day. And they suggest that you have a morning routine that is typical to when you left your home for work, like get up, don't touch your work count, get up, work out, shower, whatever, whatever it is your routine was before when you worked outside of the home. And then at the end of the day, have an exit routine so that you're putting it away. And like actually shifting gears, such as like if we didn't live in Arizona, go for a walk at the end of the day, or go to the gym, or go for a drive, or walk around the block, you know, something that actually shuts you down. So you're really working, you know, whatever your hours are, an eight to five or something.
2: So Um, that you actually leave it. Yep. and And not carry it over.
1: Yes. And I will tell you I'm guilty of not learning that until later. And I definitely didn't implement it good enough. Right, because I experienced major burnout at the end of my time there. Um, But that is something that I think is hugely impactful um, that you get to do. That you have, even though it was happenstance, your uniform was dirty and you had grease on you from what you do for a living. But I say continue that. Right, if you if you start a business from home, still keep that tradition because I think it's important. Um, And for your mental well-being, for the kiddos, um, uh, is there anything that we didn't touch on that that has popped into your head as we've been going?
2: A major portion of my resilience is just seeing those guys happy. Yeah. Just seeing them you know just seeing them smile and even when they're mad at each other and they're yeah, I don't I don't know, Jessica. I think that's it. Though. that's that's really honestly between me and you and I guess this podcast is that yeah seeing those yeah. guys happy is yeah is my daily drive that's what yeah. lets me get the daily grind of everything that involves with life
1: mhm very important and and a good uh, i mean there is no magic potion or checklist to resiliency um there are there are things that i have read about and heard in our podcast that we pick up you know like trends but it took for each of us, it's something different. And, and as you're speaking to it, a lot of what I did to change my life from, or to make sure those patterns didn't repeat was seeing my kids be healthy, happy kids versus what we went through, right? Like breaking that cycle and you have broken the cycle. Um, I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but breaking the cycle or the the patterns in your family, the the family history, you've obviously done that. um, And that's important. This is a sidebar, but something you said, um, and I want to make sure I touch back on that. And I'm sure you know this, but our listeners and myself included um, needed to hear this is you said it was about your son rolling off the couch to get up and run away. But man, just this, if people repeat this to themselves over and over again. You said it was nothing that I did wrong. And aside from you were speaking about your son rolling off the couch to get up and run away because he didn't want his diaper changed. I mean, man, how impactful is that for our lives? Me and you and our sisters. It
2: was nothing that we did wrong. Oh, it's yeah, it's impactful. And I think there's probably a lot of people who need to realize that, um, a lot of the times it's nothing you did wrong yeah you know those, yeah. those little those the children are children and they're uh-huh. going to do things and they're going to get into things and no matter what you you can't you can't physically 24 7 you know all eyeballs and hands on that child so there's going right. to be point where, you know they i don't know um draw on the wall. Yeah. (laughs) Or or get in a
1: car accident at 17. Yeah.
2: Or get in a car accident at 17.
1: Uh You know, and I think a lot of us carry that, whatever the situation is, we carry unnecessary guilt with us. This is nothing that you had done wrong. Kids get up and run away when you're trying to change them, Um, Uh you know, and, and whatever other trouble they get themselves into. But Um, Evan, thank you so much for joining me today and doing this special Father's Day podcast about being a resilient dad. Um, We want the world to know there's no such thing as a perfect dad or a perfect mother, and it's okay to be imperfect um, and to, you know, look for the traditions and the stability for your family, look to your community, and Um, really look for things that you can do for yourself to help build your resilience. Like Evan shared about his 30 minutes transition time and things like that. Thank you so much, Evan. I think that this will be um, really helpful for other dads. Great reminders for other
2: dads. I appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And I hope that I hope I can help somebody.
0: Thank you for listening to and life happened. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to listen and like our podcast. If you would like to support our podcast, you can do so by sharing with others to build our community of resilience. To stay updated on the latest information, please follow us at and underscore life happened on Instagram. If you would like to share your Life Happens story of resilience, please complete the form in our Instagram bio. These are our personal stories, and we are not mental health professionals. This is not a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health or personal advice. Thank you.